friends here, um, and I'm honored by your visiting uh, here today. And I'm just so thankful to have this opportunity to share. Um, but I want you to imagine a minute, just for a minute, that it's just you and me here. Nobody else is here. It's just you and me. I want to tell you that I love you. I will miss you. You are important to me. And I can let everybody back in now. <laughs> We're here together again. Um, and just before, we had some leftover cake from the party Friday night, so it's downstairs <laughs> after service. Okay. Go down there, um, keep it in the kitchen, please. Or you may take some home for dessert after your lunch, but first come, first serve. So, more than we could eat, I'll tell you that. <laughs> so, um, in early August, uh, David gave a couple sermons on the um, state of the church and what we could do about it. You know, very broad, high strokes is, you know, the church is in decline. What we can do about it is share Christ in love in an evangelistic way. And I, when I think about stuff like that, I always think, am I doing that? Am I taking action? Am I taking action enough? Am I being effective in that action? And with my personality, the answer is always no. <laughs> um, I never think I'm doing it. I never think I'm doing it enough. You know, I never think I'm doing it effectively. But I want to look at, you know, what could boss, what is the, what, are, what do I think is the root cause of when I'm not being, when I'm not sharing my faith, when I'm not sharing Christ, or when I'm not being effective at it? What are the root causes for that? And what maybe totally, seemed totally uh, opposed to that or a totally different thought is, well, in the current climate we have in this world, with all the chaos, with all the um, disparity between our, in our, in our politics and, and the infighting and, and just the, the, what seems like hatred in our political system, it's, you know, chaos. In, in the way that our culture is forcing things on our consciousness that we don't necessarily want there. Um, the way our culture is, uh, you know, causing chaos, you know. The cancel culture, the uh, defund the police, all these things that just are, you know, concerning. How are we going to deal with that? How are we going to grow through that? How are we going to uh, not only grow, but thrive in all these difficult things we have to think about? Um, and then within this church, there's two, two families, Suzanne and I and the Shostak family, that are leaving almost simultaneously. The disruption, how do you handle that disruption? How do you grow through that disruption? And I want to... Um, so how do we grow in every season? And so I, have, I had three kind of what I thought were non, unrelated thoughts <coughs> percolating through my mind for several years now. 
and they seem to have coagulated in what I want to share with you today. And they come, you know, basically, to me it's really kind of a prayer. A prayer that I have for each individual that's here today. For really each individual in the world. Or more collectively, for this congregation. Or each congregation of the Lord's church. My mouth is already dry. And I want to talk to you basically about some ideals. And I'm, so I'm talking about ideals today. Things that we must keep you know, in front of us so that we grow into them. None of us have, have reached these ideals. I think of Paul. He said, I, um, I have not yet obtained this. I have not yet been made perfect. But I forget what's behind. I strive toward what's ahead. Toward what the calling in Christ Jesus. have that on. And there we go. Oh, now we go. So the, the ideals are correct vision, correct thinking, and correct action. And I want you to know that correct vision flows into correct thinking, which flows into correct action. But notice I did not say that the correct vision causes correct thinking, or thinking causes correct action, because that's not true. They flow into, they support each other, but you are the cause. There is nothing that's going to happen naturally without your effort, without you putting your heart into it. So you may learn the correct vision, but that's not necessarily going to get you the correct thinking. But they, they work together and they flow together. So, how, so I think to answer these questions, how are we going to grow in every season? You know, one, the first one is the vision, and that's, this is the root. This is the foundation. Um, we have to think about how we see each other, or how we see ourselves and each other. Romans 12.3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. Now in my experience, and as I've observed people, I'm a people watcher, um, people thinking more highly of themselves than they ought is not most of our problem. Most of us do not have the problem thinking more highly of themselves than we ought. I've heard a lot of people speak more highly of themselves than they ought, but for most of us, thinking more highly of themselves than we ought, usually our problem is we're not thinking highly of ourselves enough. We don't see us ourselves the way God sees us. So how should we think? What is sober judgment? And I think to, to answer that question, we need to go back all the way to the beginning. And that's the scripture that Randy read for us earlier in Genesis 1. Chapter 20, or Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. 
So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So my question is, do you see yourself as one who is made in God's image? Do you see yourself as one who is a ruler over God's creation? I want to have, and I want you to have, the self-image of one who is made in God's image. But what does it mean to be made in God's image? Some common answers is, well, we have a spirit. You may have heard people say, you're a spiritual being having a human existence. Well, we have dominion over all creation. And these things are true. They're directly from that, that verse. But it's not enough. And I think I, I looked through basically the first half of Genesis. And I came up with this list of things that characterize God. And this is not the full list. God blesses others. God gives commands. God gives gifts. God rests. God has a green thumb. God seeks the good of others. God cares for others. God punishes wrongdoing. God expresses sadness over the sins of people. God can be deeply troubled and grieved. God is gracious. God is a provider. Now, to some extent, we all have these characteristics. God breathed into us the breath of life. He gave us his image. We have these things or have these responsibilities as part of us, as being human. Now there's three that I left out that I think are more are key to what I want to discuss today. And these, are, these qualities are God's image, that God is creative, God is powerful, and God speaks, things happen. And, to some extent, all three of these things are true about us as well. We are creative. That's what separates us from animals. One of the things. We are creative. We can take something and make something new of it. Everyone is powerful. Whether you know it or not, you are powerful. And we need to know that that is true so we can properly use that power for the benefit of others and ourselves. Everyone gets what they speak. I'm living proof of that. I have said since I was in college that I was going to retire early from my job. And I, two years ago, I still didn't believe it was going to happen. Um, there's a lot of times I, I lacked the faith of that happening, but I, I said it. I believed, I believed that somehow that was going to happen. It didn't happen the way I expected, but it, it did. And there's many other ways I could give, examples I could give of that, but I won't. I'm already going to be short on time, so. <laughs> so there's two principles if you read success, you know, literature that come from this scripture. And you may have heard these. You always get what you expect and begin with the end in mind. Okay. So here's some scriptures that I want to use to kind of explore this idea of beginning with the end in mind. The first one is Isaiah 46.10, where God says, I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times what is still to come. I say, my purpose will stand, I will do all that I please. So this is God speaking 
Before the creation of the world, he had a plan that he was going to create the universe. He was going to put people on it. He, they were going to need a redeemer, which he was going to send his son to die for their sins so that those who chose to be with him would be saved and be with him for eternity. I need another drink of water. So, we also have this ability to make known from the, to look at the end, what do we want, what do we desire, and make it happen. We have to be careful with that power, but we have that power. And I'm going to show you some example of the misuse of that power here in a few minutes. But let me look at, let's look at Proverbs 16.3. Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and he will establish your plans. So, God is expecting us to make plans Commit them to him so there should be in his will under things that he is pleased with that he will, he will establish them. Proverbs 16.9 The mind of man plans his way but the Lord directs his steps. So again, you make a plan. God may change that plan. God may adjust it. Maybe God will say no and that plan not come true. Psalm 37, 5 and 6 Commit your way to the Lord. Trust in him, and he will do this. He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. And of course, this has to be, you know, we have to look at scriptures like James 4.3. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with the wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. So we have to have the right motives. We have to have the right reasons for what we are planning, for God to bless it. Doesn't mean that God won't necessarily allow us to go forward with it. And I think there's, we could look at probably plenty of examples of where God has allowed people to go forward with things that they should not have gone forward with. Um, but so we need to be careful that we use this power correctly. And each of us can look at ways we have tuned our lives by our thinking. If we have a negative, if I have negative thinking, if all I really think about are negative things, then where is my life going to end up? It's going to end up unhappy and in a downward spiral. Or if I'm just a passive person, allowing thoughts to come in, you know, I'm sitting, I get home from work or whatever, and, and this, I did this for years. Sit down and watch TV and let the TV wash over me. Where is my life going? It's going nowhere. It's going where the TV wants me to go. Or if I take control of my thoughts and say, I'm going to think of positive things, of good things, I'm going to set goals for my life. I'm going to plan ahead. Then my life can go in an upward spiral and it can be a blessing to other people. So I want to take an example from Scripture of the misuse of these principles. And to go do that, we want to look at Genesis 11, verses 1 through 7. This is after the flood, and now the whole world had one language and a common speech. As people moved eastward, they found a plain in Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They used brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language, they had begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. 
Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they will not understand each other. So I want to focus there on verse 6. The Lord said, If as one people speaking the same language they have begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do will be impossible for them. This is something that God said about people who were not living according to his will. They were following a plan of their own will. They were being willfully uh, rebellious. Um, They were acting in pride. But God said that they would be able to do anything they put their mind to. He said this about people who do not have his spirit, who were not looking for what is the best interest of people. So if God says that about people who do not have his spirit, who are not seeking to, to follow him, how do you think he thinks about people who he has given his spirit to? In 1 Peter 2, verses 9 and 10, I mean, our self-image has to be greater than that, right? He has accepted us into his family. He has given us his spirit. So our self-image should be greater than even that. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession. That you may declare the praise of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Just imagine how God must see you if he's given you his spirit. Is he going to give his spirit to someone he doesn't think very highly of? That he doesn't love? That isn't worth giving his spirit to? We must help each other have a self-image of people who are made in God's image and have his spirit. Now, we're not here to watch TV, to live vicariously through our children or grandchildren, to just exist. We're here to grow. We're here to struggle for something worthwhile. We're here to serve others. And I think, you know, how do I know if I'm living as one whose self-image is in made in God's image? Well, if I'm sinning, I'm not living with the proper self-image. One who is, sees himself in God's image is not sinning. If I'm not doing the good I ought to do, if I'm putting off, yeah, I know I should call this person, I know I should share this with that person, and I don't do it out of some fear or whatever, I'm not seeing myself in the image of God. I'm seeing my fears, not the other person's need. So I need to see myself, see, have my, the self-image of one who is made in God's image. If I'm satisfied with stagnation in my life, if I'm satisfied with just living, I'm not seeing myself as one who is made in God's image. As a Christian, I'm not allowed to have a self-image less than one who is made in God's image. We must each take personal responsibility for our own self-image, but also help each other grow their self-image as people who are made in God's image. 
We need to work towards the correct vision to grow in every season. And having the correct vision leads to the correct thinking. I seem to be missing a slide. So vision leads to or requires correct thinking. How do we grow and maintain this self-image? Well, we practice the principle of success. Um, that Noah, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, Daniel, David, all used. You say, well, what principle is that? It's the 4-8 principle. Well, what's the 4-8 principle? It's Philippians 4-8. So look at Philippians 4.8, because my slide's not there. It says, we are commanded to think about whatever is true, thank you, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, things that are excellent or praiseworthy. Now how would you characterize these words? Is there a negative word in the bunch? No. No negative words. They are all positive and uplifting. To grow in every season requires me to have the correct thinking. I have to cancel any thought that doesn't fit into this category and change it into a thought that fits. Whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if it's excellent or praiseworthy, that's what I gotta think about. Those are the thoughts that I gotta keep in my mind. And I gotta use cancel culture against any thought that goes against that. And you know, speaking for myself, I can't obey this for long watching television. I can't. It's very soon there's going to be negative thinking coming into my brain watching television. Talk radio, probably even worse. Social media, definitely is worse. YouTube, you name it. Proverbs 4.23 says, guard your heart. There we go. So how do you guard your heart? Well, one way I think to guard your heart is by taking deliberate action on, and right thinking is to be in, your word, in the Word. That's the best way, right? Get in the Bible as often as you can. Read it. And more than just reading it, believe it. Believe what you read. Believe that it's meaningful to you. I have, and I don't say it to be prideful, I have read the Bible cover to cover ever since I was 18, every year. But much of that time, I have spent just reading the words, not thinking about the fact that it's true, that these are words of God, they're true, and seeing how they're true for me. I want to give you an example uh, from one of uh, a psalm that I just think is so uh, apropos to the 
situation we're in right now through our world. Psalm 91. Whoever dwells in the shelter of the Most High will rest in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Surely He will save you from the fowler's snare and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with His feathers, and under His wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness will be your shield and rampart. You will not fear the terror of night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in the darkness, nor the plague that destroys at midday. A thousand may fall at your, right, your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but, if, but it will not come near you. You will only observe with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. If you say, the Lord is my refuge, and you make the Most High your dwelling, no harm will overtake you, no disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard your way, you in all your ways. They will lift you up in, in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the cobra. You will trample the great lion and the serpent. Because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him for he acknowledges my name. He will call on me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, I want you to believe that this scripture is true, and it's true about each of us. Now, we must interpret it properly, not as Satan did in regards to Jesus, saying that the angels will lift you up so you don't strike your foot against a stone, and Satan say, well, you know, jump off the cliff. If I jump off a cliff, God's not going to save me from that. He expects me to use my common sense. If there's a spray of bullets and I run into it, I expect to die. If, you know, you name it, the silly thing that somebody might do saying God's going to protect me, no. But this is true. This is true about those who put their faith in him. And we must apply these principles in the right manner. If I trust God and live responsibly. And we, got, and we need to look at David's life, not David Shostak, Patriarch David, and the life of Jesus when we think about this scripture. Obviously, none of them had a, neither of them had an easy life. But this scripture is true about both of them. It's true about you as well. As a Christian, I am not allowed to have negative thoughts persist. We each must take personal responsibility for our thoughts and help each other grow in their thoughts. We need to work towards the correct thinking to grow in every season. And our thinking leads to our action. By forcing yourself to follow the four eight thoughts, you will experience the continual reduction of the negative self-image and the increase of self-image of one who is made in God's image. The growth in the vision and thinking will spawn off into the action we now speak of. The right vision and the right thinking are so that we can be effective in proclaiming Christ. And for that, I want to look at Colossians 1, 28 and 29. We proclaim him by instructing and teaching all people with all wisdom, so that we may present every person mature in Christ. Toward this goal I also labor struggling according to his power that powerfully works in me. I want to break this verse down piece by piece. It says, 
Starts out, we proclaim him. Who is we? Well, Paul is speaking. It's about the people that he's working with. It's about the Colossians. And by extension, it's us. We proclaim him. Who is the him that we proclaim? It's Christ. How do we do it? By instructing and teaching with all wisdom. What is all wisdom? This is all wisdom. And what I love to think about, that in, this, in the church, this Bible, the Bible, the whole Bible, is our creed. It is our catechism. Contained in this Bible is our uh, uh, theology, our gospel. We use the Bible, the whole Bible. Who do we instruct and teach? All people. Every person. To what end? That they may be mature in Christ. And if nothing else, maturity in Christ means that we have the self-image of those who are made in God's image. And that is what we must grow into. Then Paul gets personal. Toward this goal, I also labor. And I pray and hope that we each take this verse personally as well. That this is each of our goals to struggle and labor that this may happen. That we may proclaim him. Instructing and teaching people with all wisdom. All people. So that they may be mature in Christ. You may ask, Paul's writing this, saying he has a struggle and if God's power is working through him, why does he have to struggle? And if Paul had to struggle, certainly the struggle is going to be there for us as well. But I think of, he had a very painful life, so he may not have wanted to go into another situation that may have caused him another beating. But to view myself and others as God views us with the proper image is a difficult thing. It's a take struggle. To constantly have 4-8 thinking properly is a struggle. To overcome the internal resistance that I have to doing what is right is a struggle. I mean, I have a desire, desire to take it easy, to rest, to avoid conflict. And it's a struggle to overcome these things. So why am I not acting? Why am I holding back? Well, it's I not having a self-image of one who is made in God's image. I'm not thinking about acting as one who is entrusted with his spirit, giving me the power. I'm looking at my fears versus others' needs. I'm not thinking for a principle. And I can't leave this discussion without, without speaking about what our motivation is. What, is. what is our motivation to do what we do? Again, we go back to the principle, begin with the end in mind. What is our end? What is the end that we're looking forward to? It's Jesus' second coming. We're looking forward to Jesus returning to take those who entrusted themselves to him home to be with him. According to the book, The Incomparable Christ, the Jesus' second coming is spoken of 318 times 
in the 210 chapters of the New Testament. And we must understand that it's imminent, and we must act as it's imminent. As a Christian, I'm not allowed to be inactive. We each must take personal responsibility for our actions and help each other grow in their actions. We need to work toward the correct action to grow in every season. Now, as I close this lesson down, David, <laughs> I'm going to share just a couple more scriptures and, and thoughts. In summary, I think 2 Peter 1, verses 3 through 11, really summarizes what we've been talking about more beautifully than any other passage in scripture. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 9. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may practice, you may participate in the divine nature, having a self-image of one who is made in God's image, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith, goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But whoever does not have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Now, how we see ourselves leads to and is supported by how we think. How we think leads to and is supported by how we act. And I want to finally read Isaiah 48, 17 through 19. This is what the Lord says, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. I am the Lord your God who teaches you what is best for you, who directs you in the way you should go. If only you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would be like, have been like a river, your well-being like the waves of the sea. Your descendants would have been like the sand, your children like the numberless grains. Their name <coughs> would have never been blotted out nor destroyed from before me. One more drink. So God says to have these things, to have the self-image, to have the right thinking, to have the right action, we need to be paying attention to the things he's teaching us in his word and um, to obey them. You know, it's often said as... I bring this lesson to a close, that salvation is a free gift. And that's true. But the religious world says that there's nothing you can do to obtain it. And they're right. You can't buy it, and you can't earn it. But there's absolutely something you must do to receive it. You know, we had a, a gathering Friday night because, you know, for us to go, and a lot of people brought gifts. And I thank you for them. But I had to do something to receive them. I could have, in evil pride, said, I don't want your gifts, and walked out and left them there. I didn't do that. But, I could, but many people have done that with God's gift and not have done what they need to do to receive it. How can I say this? 2 Thessalonians 1.8 says, Jesus will punish those, when he returns, will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel. Obey means doing. 
in Acts chapter 2, the first gospel sermon being preached, the people came to faith. They believed that Jesus was the Messiah, and they killed him. And many who were there were cut to the heart and said, Brother, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter didn't say, do. There's nothing you can do. No, he said something else. We'll get back to that in a minute. So what must we do? Well, obviously, we must hear the gospel. That's doing something. We must believe the gospel. John 6, 29 says, The work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. Then Mark 16, 6, 6, Mark 16, 16 says, He who believes and is baptized shall be saved. So that adds baptism. That's something we must do. Or it must be done to us. But we must submit to it. And finally, back to Acts 2, 38. Peter replied to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, and the Lord will add you to his church. So he adds repentance. So there's several things that we must do. Others, we must confess Jesus as Lord and live faithfully. So the invitation here for you this morning, if you want to be baptized into Christ, if you're ready to put him on so you can have your sins washed away and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and be added to his church, then this invitation is for you. But if you need the prayers of the church to you know, help in your, your, the vision that you have of yourself, the thinking that you have, or the actions you take, please come forward and sit in the right on the pews. Let me stand and sing.